So we're talking about heroes today. We're going to keep talking about heroes, and, and, and our, our prayer is that we will become heroes of the faith. I love that video. I love seeing the kid pretending to be a hero. Just yesterday, we got this huge box from Amazon in our house, and we brought it in. And, and one of the things that the kids find amusing is when we get a new box, instead of getting a knife or scissors and opening it, I like to amuse the kids by just trying to break it open with my hand like a hero. So we got this massive Amazon box yesterday, and we, we brought it in the family room, and it was all taped up, and I said, hey, kids, watch this. And I took my hand, and I karate chopped it as hard as I could, and, like, nothing happened. I mean, I'm not that heroic as far as strength goes. And so, so I kept trying to open it, but, I, but then Charlie, like, the, the thing that made me think of this is that kid, you know, sitting there fighting, Charlie comes over and just, just starts pounding on that box. And, I mean, that kid's got some skills, and I don't want to be the one that gets in a fight with him someday because he's pretty tough. I hope your kids aren't either, and I apologize if they are. But, <laughs> but heroes, we're here today to talk about heroes. We believe that God has worked through heroes of the faith all through time, and I believe that God wants to work through us and give us a heroic faith that will be at work in our community and in our lives. In this series, we've been working our way through Hebrews chapter 11, and, and there is a, a, a chapter there that's about the heroes of the faith, and it starts by saying, by faith, and then it lists out these heroes. Two weeks ago, we talked about Noah. I'm glad we didn't talk about Noah this weekend, because it would have been a little scary for us, right, with all the rain? We, you, some of you might be getting anxious, but, but we talked about Noah and we talked about his heroic obedience that he did whatever God called him to do. Whether it was stand all by himself for his faith or whether it was to build an ark and do something that people would think was absolutely crazy. But Noah did everything God called him to do. He was completely obedient. Then last week we talked about Abraham. And we talked about Abraham's journey to faith. His, he was called to be the father of a multitude, the father of the nations, to become the father of God's chosen people, the people of Israel. And Abraham, through this journey, learned to trust God and have faith. And so we're talking about heroes one of the things I love about Hebrews chapter 11, if you haven't read it, you just need to go home and tonight or this week read through it several times. One of the things I love about it is, is it's a story. It tells the story of God's people and the heroes that came. Just we, Megan and I watched a, a Marvel movie last night, one of the, we watched the Thor movie, and we were talking about how there's a whole story, and we actually looked up like what sequence you watch it in, but that's what Hebrews 11 is. It's this story of God's people, and we have these different heroes that pop up and play their part in it through their heroic faith. But, but one of the things I love about it is that Hebrews 11 is that story from the beginning of time until it was written. But the truth of the matter is, God's story is still going today. Do you understand that? The Bible was written long ago. And we use the Bible, but God is still working to redeem this place and to do His will. 
And I believe that if we took and we made a timeline and we said, okay, we had Noah over here and then we had Abraham and then we, and we went through that timeline, I believe we could go way over here. I'm not going to walk all the way over there because they complain about me moving too much. But we could come all the way over here and I believe where we are today, God is still working. And so my prayer is as we continue to look at these heroes from Hebrews 11... My prayer is that we will learn from them and that we will become heroes of the faith. Picking up where we left off last week, this is Hebrews 11, verses 20 to 21. It says this, and this, today's Hebrews 11 verse is just really simple and quick. It says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. So today, we're going to skip Isaac. You can go read up on Isaac if you want. That's cool. He's a hero. But we're going to skip and we're going to go to Jacob's story. And when you, re- when you read what we talked about last week with Abraham, all this huge story of faith and obedience, when you think about Noah and him building the ark and standing alone, like the stuff that's written in Hebrews 11 about Noah and Abraham is just huge stuff. And Jacob, it says, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. That doesn't seem like a real heroic, like that's not the end of like this great movie, right? But it would be. Because if you knew Jacob's story, and some of you do know Jacob's story, he was a hero of the faith. And there was a journey to get to the point, even the words here, that he worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. They have so much meaning. And so today we're going to talk about Jacob's story. We're going to talk about the journey that he was on. Last week we talked about Abraham's journey to faith. It was really about Abraham learning to trust God. If we could paraphrase today, when we talk about Jacob, what we're really talking about is Jacob getting out of the way of what God was doing himself. Jacob's, Abraham had to learn to trust. Jacob had to get over himself because he had issues, as we're going to see. How many of you have issues? Raise your hand. You can admit it. Some of you are lying. You didn't raise your hand. We all have issues. Jacob had issues. And so I want to I look at it today and, and, and see see the story of Jacob, and I want us to learn because I believe that, just like Noah, it's all about heroic, faithful obedience, and I believe, like Abraham, we have to learn and strengthen our faith, learn to trust God, but like Jacob, I believe that we sometimes, in fact, all of us, I think, have to get over ourselves to become heroes, so at the end of this section, it's, it's finished up with Abraham, and it follows with Isaac and Jacob. So Isaac, if you remember last week, we talked about Abraham being called to go sacrifice his son Isaac, and, and that was kind of the pinnacle moment of Abraham's journey to faith. It was, it was that moment where he said, God, I fully trust you. And so Isaac is his son. And then it moves on and says, Jacob and Esau, Jacob is Isaac's son. So when we talk about that timeline, we're not talking about this huge amount of time. We're talking about Abraham being the father of Isaac, who is the father of Jacob. So when we're talking about Jacob, we're talking about Abraham's grandson. 
You see this progression. Man, Jacob was one generation removed from the great Abraham, the father of multitudes, the, the, the beginning, the father of the faith. Jacob is one, one generation removed. And so, by reason, if we know that God called Abraham to become the father of a multitude... And if we know that then Isaac, it was through Isaac, if you, if you heard last week, it was through Isaac that God is going to build that, the nation, the great nation, make his descendants as numerous as the stars, as much as the sand on the seashore. And so it's through Isaac, then we could say, well, Jacob and Esau, Jacob is probably going to have a big part in this, right? I want to start by saying this. Jacob was one generation removed from Abraham, the father of multitude. He, he had great family genes. He was in this spot where, where he should be a hero, right? But being a hero isn't just about being related to heroes or being in the line of heroes. Being a hero is about learning to faithfully trust and obey God. And so Jacob, while he was perfectly positioned, he was in the prime position to be used by God, he had a journey that he had to go through. He had to learn some things before he could get there. Some of you may have great descendants. Listen, I, I consider myself extremely blessed. Most of you know uh, my mom and dad, and they are great, great people. My grandparents are great, great people. God has blessed me with great family. I, I've been set up in a perfect place. But just being set up doesn't mean I'm a hero. He, being a hero comes from learning to trust. And, and in Jacob's case, getting over himself to trust and follow God. Imagine the stories that Jacob must have heard. I mean, think about it. Jacob sitting at home must have heard the story of, of Abraham and Sarah and how God blessed them with children at an old age. I mean, that's miraculous. That's, that's amazing. Jacob must have heard the story of his father Isaac and Abraham taking him out to sacrifice him in the moment that the angel stopped his hand and said no and then provided a sacrifice for them. He must have heard these great stories. He was, he was in this great position. But there was a problem with Jacob. Like I said earlier, he had issues. Like many of us, most of us, all of us have issues. And so he had to learn from this. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 25. And I just, I mean, this covers quite a few chapters of the Bible. I'm just going to zip through it today. If you want to go back and read, start at Genesis chapter 25. You can read through Jacob's whole life. I'm just going to cover it quickly, but I want us to get through that stuff. I want us to focus on one event mainly. We're going to get there, but starting in Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 to 26, at this point, Jacob's father Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, did not have children. And they, they didn't feel like they could have children. And so, so Isaac prays that Rebekah would have children. Just like with Abraham and Sarah, we had this miraculous move of God. Now Isaac, his son, is praying. Isn't this incredible? God's promise is that I am going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I, yet everywhere along the way, it takes God's divine, miraculous work for this to happen. I mean... Megan and I can't stop having kids. 
We would have been the perfect ones to choose, right? No, Abraham and Sarah, who were far past the age where they could have children, God miraculously worked. And then Isaac and Rebekah had trouble, but God miraculously worked. And so it says, the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other from within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. There we go, the birth of a hero right here. We got the hairy older brother, the red hairy older brother, and then Jacob comes out grasping his heel. And so Isaac prayed, and once again, God did a miraculous work. Some things that we need to to learn from this text right here. Number one, it is God's divine work that accomplishes God's will through us. Once again, we see that God is the one that does this. God chose them, and God works through them. This plan, this heroic plan, God's work on earth, only happens through God. We cannot do it on our own. You can be super talented, you can be amazing, you can build companies, you can do all of that great stuff. But God's plan is only accomplished through God's divine Miraculous power. Number two, before they were even born, Jacob and Esau had tension. This is incredible. It says that they were jostling each other so much within her womb that she went to pray to God. They had tension before they were even born. How many of you that are parents feel like maybe your kids had tension before they were even born? Yesterday we got up and my kids had woken up too early. And I'm telling you, just from the moment we woke up, So the moment they went to bed, it was like, can you guys just stop fighting and arguing for a second? I mean, it's, there's like a time of the day, I'm getting sidetracked. There's a time of the day that if your kids get up before that time, the day is just totally going to be full of fighting, right? And so it's like yesterday, I was just sitting there thinking, guys, come on, were you made to fight each other? Just get along for, just go in other rooms. I mean, do something. Before they were even born, there was tension. And and this is something huge because because I believe this is a big part of who Jacob was in his journey. He had tension with other people. Number three, the Lord said um, to Rebekah, he said that, that Jacob would be served by Esau. Esau is the older brother, but Jacob would be served by Esau. That's crazy in this day. In this time, the firstborn was the one that would lead, the one that would would get everything, the one that would be blessed. But the Lord comes to Rebekah before Jacob is ever born and says, I am going to bless Jacob and the older is going to serve the younger. I don't know why God chooses to act the way that God chooses to act. I don't know why God calls the people that God calls to do incredible things. I don't, I don't know why that happens. But God chooses to act 
through who God chooses to act. And so what we see right here is Jacob wasn't this perfect person. Jacob didn't earn this calling. Jacob wasn't heroic from birth. But God called him. And God used him before he was ever even born. Number four, Jacob's name means heel grabber or supplanter or deceiver. (laughs) Once again, if you have kids, like some of you might think that your child should have been named Jacob because deceiver, like from the moment he was he was in the womb, he they knew that there was something with this kid. He was a deceiver. He was a supplanter. There was there was something crazy there. Sometimes it just seems like some of us have something within us that we just can't get past. Like there's just something deep down within us that keeps us from doing right and doing what we needed to be. Jacob was that guy. So he's in prime position. He's Abraham's grandson. He's Isaac's son. God's doing this great thing through history. And here comes Jacob. And there's this, the Lord says, I'm going to work through him. Esau's going to serve him. Yet his name is Deceiver. He was far from perfect. Now there may be some of you, I'm guessing lots of you, that feel completely, um, completely unworthy of being called and used by God this morning. Some of you would probably say, I am a deceiver. I have something wrong deep with inside of me. Jacob was there. Jacob's in Hebrews 11, a hero of the faith, but he was a deceiver. There was something wrong with him. I'm guessing that there's a lot of us that feel that way, but I want you to understand today that God can, God will, and God chooses to work through the imperfect people in our world, which is good news because all of us are imperfect. Jacob was not the ideal choice. The ideal choice would have been the firstborn. The ideal choice would have been somebody who wasn't a deceiver, but God chose Jacob. Once again, I don't know why God chooses who God chooses, but I know for us today, the important thing is that we need to be ready, and we need to have a faith, and we need to be willing to trust God and be obedient if God calls us. Because I believe that God is calling all of us. Maybe God's not calling us to do crazy things like build an ark or father a multitude or whatever. But we need to be ready. We need to have faith to be able to be obedient when God calls us. One of my favorite sayings is that God does not call the qualified but God qualifies the called. I don't know who said that. I would have put it on there. But I love that saying because the truth of the matter is over and over in Scripture we see people like the deceiver, Jacob, who are called by God to do great things. They aren't qualified when God calls them. But through their journey, God qualifies them to do what God calls them to do. The good news today is this. If God calls you to be a hero of the faith, and I believe God is calling you to be a hero of the faith, God will be what you need to become who God calls you to be. None of us is perfect. None of us is good enough. None of us is worthy of God's calling. But God chooses to qualify us and work through us. I'm going to continue through the story real quick. We're going to just hit some key points before we get to the main text that we're getting to today. 
But, but we see pretty early on. So we saw this struggle with Jacob and Esau in the womb. And then we see, so Esau is the firstborn, which in that day means he's going to get the birthright. He's going to get a better share of the inheritance. He's going to be the blessed child. And, and early on, we see this story. Most of us learned it when we were kids. If you were in the church, Jacob and Esau. And, and, and we see this story where, where Jacob takes advantage of Esau's hunger. Esau's been out hunting and he's, he's really hungry. And Jacob takes advantage of that. And, and makes a deal with him to get his birthright. And so Jacob takes advantage of him in a vulnerable place and takes the birthright for him. And so Esau, it says, despised his birthright. Then we see just a little bit later when it comes time for, for Isaac to bless Esau. Now there's a birthright and there's a blessing. The birthright, and I'll be honest with you, I read quite a bit of different articles about what the difference is between a birthright and a blessing, and they're all over the place. But what I gathered was that a birthright is a larger share of the inheritance and the ability to control the family, to be the leader of the family. The blessing is that God will come in and God will bless you and use you. And so, so Jacob has, has tricked Esau or deceived Esau into giving him his birthright. And then when it's time for Isaac to bless Esau and give him that blessing, Jacob goes in and deceives him and he wears garments that make him, he puts hairy garments on his arms so he seems like Esau and, and he tricks him into giving him the blessing. And so Jacob's name, the deceiver, the supplanter, we see it at work. And so if you're a younger brother, I'm a younger brother. If you get deceived or tricked, how do you take that? Not well. And Esau, what we see is after Esau got, got made that deal for his birthright, he despised his birthright. But then when Jacob deceives Isaac and takes his blessing too, we see that Esau is angry and Esau's coming after him. My brother's sitting over there. And we got in plenty of fights growing up. And he's a big dude. You can see him. He's a lot bigger than me. I've got this thing working for me, though. It's, it's called, like, uncontrollable rage. That's not a good thing for a pastor to admit, is it? <laughs> and so, like, we would get in a fight, and, and, I mean, he could whoop me. I mean, easy. But, man, once that switch flipped... <laughs> I mean, that's that younger brother, like, and, and Esau wasn't, he was the older brother, but we see that Esau is angry and he's coming after him and he's, he's going to go after Jacob. And so Jacob runs. This is, this is a theme in Jacob's life. He runs. And so he's on the run. He's, he's fearing for his life. He's afraid Esau is going to hurt him. And we come to Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 to 15. We see that the Lord comes to Jacob in a dream. It says, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Listen to this last part. The Lord is talking to Jacob, the deceiver. The one who has just tricked his brother and his father out of the birthright and the blessing. And God says, I'm going to work through you. And then in verse 15, these are key words. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. 
And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. This is incredible stuff. Jacob's the deceiver. He's in a prime position, but then he's the deceiver and he just keeps messing up. But God comes to him and says, I am going to bless you and work through you. I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you. Jacob should have been feeling really good right now. God confirmed the blessing on his life. He's a part of God's movement. What we see next in the story is that Jacob goes to Laban and, and, and there's this whole story about Jacob works for Laban for 14 years. Laban kind of tricks him into working for 14 years to marry both of his daughters. But then Jacob once again, like the deceiver he is, deceives Laban and makes it so that he gets all the best of his, his cattle and everything else and Jacob becomes rich off of taking advantage of Laban. So once again, God, I mean, this is incredible stuff. He once again is the deceiver. And so what happens? What happens when you cheat someone out of all of their stuff? They come after you. And so once again, Jacob, the deceiver, who is called and blessed by God, finds himself on the run. And Laban's after him. So now we've got Esau, the older brother who's bitter, coming after him. Now we've got Laban coming after him. And we see that Jacob just keeps getting himself in more and more trouble. But when Laban gets there, the Lord comes to Laban and says, I want you to spare him. I want you to treat him right. And so Laban does not hurt Jacob. And so once again, Jacob deceives. Jacob messes up. But God bails him out. He keeps struggling. But God keeps bailing him out. And so he continues on. At this point, if you're Jacob, don't you have to feel pretty good? Like you've messed up several times, but God continues to take care of you. Don't you have to be in a place, if you're Jacob at this point, that you fully trust God? But he doesn't. And he continues on in fear of Esau. He's still dealing with the consequences of his disobedience and his selfishness and his greed. And he still fears for his life, even though God promised to be with him. This is incredible. This is the grandson of the great Abraham. There was a prophecy before he was born. The Lord said to Rebekah that I'm going to bless Jacob. Even after his deception, God comes to him and says, I'm going to work through you. I'm going to make you great, and I'm never going to leave you. Then he messes up again, and God spares him from Laban's wrath. But Jacob still finds himself scared, lost, hurting, struggling. And so we actually get to the point that Jacob knows that Esau's coming, and so he's going to put as many people, as much of his family in front of him as he can. In fact, he sets it up to where there are groups of people, and he says, when, when Esau gets to you I, want you, to I want you to talk really nice about me, and I want you to butter him up so that he doesn't kill me, and then there's another group after that, and if that doesn't work, the next group's going to say the same thing. We see that Jacob has no trust that God's going to take care of him at this point. And, and he's living in fear. I want you to understand that if you live selfishly, you will be robbed of the peace that God wants to give you 
that God offers you, even though Jacob is the chosen one, even though Jacob has been told that he would be used, even though God has been with him every step of the way, he is living in a place where there is no peace because he has been living selfishly and he's not trusting God. And so he's being held back from God's calling in his life. So Abraham was all about learning faith. Jacob is all about getting past himself, his deception, the deceiver. And so we come to the text that I really want to focus on, and that's in in, uh, Genesis 32. It says this in verse 22. And, and, And basically what's happening is Esau is after him, and he's come to a place that he's at the end of his road, and he knows that Esau's going to get him. And so it says, that night Jacob got up, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And this is, an odd, this is an odd passage. It says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and humans and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, I'm sorry if I butchered that, I don't know all of these names. But Jacob named it that and said, it is because I saw the face of God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So we see this text, Jacob is messed up, he's been called, he's messed up, God's come to him and said, I'm going to use you, I'm going to be with you, he's messed up, God saved him, and he comes to this place where he's totally at a place of hurting and loss and struggle, and, and that's what we see in this text. And he's probably at that, that night before the big test where you just pray, God, help me get through this test, or the night before the big thing that you've got in your life where you're just panicking and you're like, God, I just need you to help me and save me. And and so he sends his family on, and and Jacob is going before God to plead and to pray. He was looking for a handout, and what he got was something very different. God wanted to work on him. God wanted to change him. And so what we see is the man comes to the tent. We understand that the man is actually God, God's representation. And so God comes into the tent to wrestle with Jacob. There's something important here. Even when we struggle, even when we miss it, God is constantly pursuing us. And despite our failures, God's desire is to give us freedom and peace. God called him, and he blew it over and over, but God wanted him to experience God's blessing. And so he came to him, and they wrestled. It said they wrestled all night. He's looking for a handout. He got a wrestling match. How many of you have ever been looking for a handout from God, and instead you got a wrestling match? He got a wrestling match. This is huge. Sometimes I think we panic because we're in a situation that that we think we need God to save us from. And sometimes I think what we really need is a wrestling match with God, that we need to get over ourselves, 
that we need the real problem to be fixed. We think the problem is Esau coming after us. Jacob thought his problem was Esau, but his problem wasn't Esau. His problem was himself. Some of us here today are at a place where we need God to wrestle us so that we can get the real problem fixed, the problem in our hearts. It says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that he, his hip was wrenched and as he wrestled with the man. It said the man couldn't overpower him. This is, this, this is hard to comprehend, but it says, when he realized he couldn't overpower him, he just touched his hip and his hip was messed up. I don't believe that this is about God not being able to overpower Jacob. You know what I think this is about? This is about Jacob being stubborn and selfish. This happens in my house all the time. I wrestle with my kids. And I say, give up, and I put them in a hold, and I say, give up, and they say, no, and they keep fighting, and I say, give up, and they, they keep fighting. And eventually, I flip the switch and put them in the pretzel, and I say, you're not getting out until you say I'm the best dad ever. <laughs> and at that point, at that point, they realize what they need to do. And they relent. That's what's happening here. Jacob is wrestling with God, and it says he, God couldn't overpower him. But the truth is, Jacob was just selfish, and, his, and he was stubborn, and he wouldn't give up because his whole life was about him trying to take care of himself. But what God is trying to do is change his heart so he can depend on him. And finally, God's had enough and puts him in the pretzel and touches his hip, and his socket's out. And Jacob realizes that he's outmatched. And that he can't do it on his own. And so it says, Jacob clung to the man. And the man said, let me go. And Jacob said, no, not until you bless me. Because here's the thing. When we, when we realize we are over our, in it over our head, we have to reach out to the God that can save us and sustain us and use us. And so the man says, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. And he says, your name's not Jacob anymore. You are no longer deceiver. You are Israel because you have struggled with God and you have overcome. I want you to understand that this, this is huge. Jacob not letting go of God is a huge departure. It's a huge change because his whole life it's been about what he could do. And now all of a sudden he realizes he's beat. So he grabs on and he says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And at that point, the man, God, changes who Jacob is. He goes from being deceiver, Jacob the flawed one. And we talked about we all have issues. Some of us need to wrestle with God so God can heal us of it and give us the identity that we're supposed to have. Jacob wrestled with God and overcame. This wrestling match was about far more than getting him out of trouble or teaching him a lesson. This was about Jacob giving all of his heart to God. Jacob's hip was forever messed up, but that always was a reminder to him that he had to be completely trusting in God, that he couldn't do it on his own through deception. The, the, the lesson here is this. We will not be heroes until we learn to fully depend on God. We cannot be heroes of the faith if we're living for ourselves. We can only be heroes when we learn to fully trust the God who's working through all of this. And that's where Jacob was. And so I'm going to pick it up. And then in, verse, in chapter 33, we see the next part of this. It says, Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with 400 men. So this is the moment he'd been fearing for. Jacob was living in fear. He had deceived. He knew he was messed up. And then he wrestles with God. And all of a sudden, this is the response. 
It says, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and the children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself, this is huge, he himself went on ahead and bowed down on the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Look at the difference here. Earlier it was, I'm going to send everyone I can before me because I'm terrified. And now because he's wrestled with God and he's learned to trust and depend on God, he goes ahead and he kneels before Esau and he, and he pleads with him. And in verse 4, this is a beautiful verse. This is, this, is, this is good stuff. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Jacob was the deceiver. Jacob struggled with self. But, but then he wrestled with God and God changed who he was and changed his heart. And now Jacob is ready to become the hero that God called him to be. And so when it says in Hebrews 11 that he blesses Joseph's sons, and that's a whole other story, it says when he blesses Joseph's sons, and as he dies, he leans on his staff and worships. Do you see the significance of him leaning on his staff? He's leaning on his staff because his hip is messed up, because he knows that he has to trust God. And so Jacob became a hero because he got over his selfish ways and learned to trust and obey and worship the God that was with him all along. That's huge. Listen, if we're going to be heroes, number one, we've got to be obedient. Number two, there's a journey to faith. But number three, today, as we talk about Jacob, we have to get over ourselves. Through this series, we're, we're looking at heroes in our church as well. And so I want um, Rick Beavers to come up. And I, wa I want you to hear his story and what God's done in his life. Because I believe that, that God has been doing something really huge and I've seen God working in Rick's life and so we're just going to talk together and I want you to hear his story and then as you hear his story, I just want you to be thinking about what God is calling you to do and where God is calling you. So, so Rick, just tell me about your growing up. Tell me about your upbringing. Yeah, so growing up, I, uh, I was lucky enough to grow up kind of in this church and in another church locally. Um, and just being really involved. Um, I grew up with two sets of grandparents that I attribute my entire journey really to um, that really were pushing me to always be in church and, and were always praying for me and they were always telling me that they were praying for me and that allowed me as a kid to kind of get involved in things that really were meant for adults, but as, but as a kid, I was just enthralled with the idea that my prayers could change somebody's life. So I was always involved in church, did everything I could in church, and, and just really enjoyed it. Okay. And, and I know your story, and I know that at one point, things changed a little bit for you. So tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, that's where when the, uh, well, when Alex said, I think you're similar to Jacob, I was like, I don't think that my wife or my mom ever called me the deceiver in the womb, but... But she should have. She should have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> but when I got older, I, I went to high school, and obviously, and then I went to college. And once I got to college, I started realizing that in the sheltered life that I was in, where everybody had similar beliefs that I did, we believed in the same God. And then I went to UC and realized 
that's not the same thing there. So I started meeting people that had different values than I did. They had different um, gods than I did. And they did different things on Sundays and Saturdays that I did. So it was one of those opportunities that I, I said, well, man, these, these people seem like nice enough people and they seem like they're like me. So maybe I should start getting involved with them and doing the kind of things that they enjoy. And that's kind of where things kind of started to spiral for me as I started realizing um, as many of our teens and young adults do that, you know, hey, I've grown up in the church, but man, it's really nice to sleep until like 10 o'clock on Sunday morning as opposed to hop up and be here at 930. So maybe I'll just skip this week and then maybe another week will pass. And, and then Saturday night I get invited to a party and man, those are a lot of fun. I get to know people and these people really like me. So it was an opportunity for me to kind of feel like I was involved in something and I was a part of something with people my age. Um, and, and because of that, I started making really selfish decisions, things that I thought were fulfilling to me, things that, um, that um, never really got me in trouble, um, you know, that other people could see, but it was, all, it was something that allowed me to enjoy my life and not have to have accountability, not have to have responsibility, not have to come into these doors and tell everybody, you know, why I look like a wreck and why I'm, you know, not here on Wednesday nights anymore and all these other things. So it was an opportunity for me to really just get involved in things that weren't good for me. And it was during that time that um, I started hanging out with a group of guys that were just really led me to believe that I was possibly like the gift to the world. Like we all had this selfish like thought that like all of us guys were the group that everybody wanted to be around. And that's when I met my wife who absolutely was nowhere near that lifestyle. Um, but for whatever reason kind of accepted me and uh, potentially thought she made a mistake. But um, it was, <laughs> but it was an opportunity for me to, you know, I just, I went down a path that it just, it was really, really self-righteous, um, it was really selfish, as you were saying, um, and, and just kind of changed the whole tra trajectory of, of my life and kind of took me on a detour down roads that um, were really uncomfortable for me. Yeah, so, and, and when I say that your story's like Jacob, I mean, I think my story is too in some ways. I mean, we both grew up in the church, but then we got into this selfish place where maybe we were living for ourselves, and, and you, got to, you got to a place that things had to change, and so, so what changed? So for me, um, my wrestle uh, was really to a point where Autumn and I got married. And when we got married, um, I just wasn't in a good place. I just, I knew I loved her. I knew I wanted to be with her. Um, but it really didn't register to me that once we got married, we were whole. And now all of a sudden, she was going to be relying on me to be our, the leader of our house. Um, so our marriage was really rocky the first couple years, um, to the point now where it's embarrassing to say, but we, we have the conversation that at one point in time, we both had the same thought, like, this isn't going to work. We never talked it to one another about it, but we just were sure like this, this isn't going to work. So we did what normal people would do that think that, and we got pregnant and, um, <laughs> and when we realized we were going to have a baby, um, it just kind of started dawning on me, like, all my life, I've had four grandparents in my life that were always very open about telling me that they were praying for me. And they would always tell me, like, how much they wanted me back in church and how much, 
you know, they loved me and they wanted me to be um, in the right place. And it dawned on me that when I'm going to, when we're going to have a baby, like my grandparents, my kids, great grandparents, they're not always going to be there. And my parents growing up were not Christians. They still, they're still trying to find their way in that. And it dawned on me that my, my kids aren't going to always know where that right road is. So I have to make a decision. I can either continue and make my kids believe that this is the road of life. But like you said, there was a moment of, I have no peace in my life. I don't have anything. Everything is just chaotic. Like I'm fighting with my wife. I hate my job. We have no money. Like all of these things. And it's like, why am I doing this? And, and then I, you know, we started talking about finding a church home and Again, I would wrestle with God because I'd walk through the doors and I certainly didn't want to come back here because some of you saw me growing up and like, where in the world has this guy been? Um, so I didn't want to come here. So we started going to other churches and I was wrestling with God because I would walk in and I'd say, oh, the music here is terrible. I can't, oh, there's too many old people. Oh, there's too many young people. Oh, like all of these reasons I would find and we would leave and I would say, what do you think about that? And I'd say, no, nope, that's not the church. So we did this for like two or three months. And all the while, she stuck with me. And, and then finally, Brindley came. And the day I held her, um, I'll never forget sitting on the couch in that room and holding her and looking at her and realizing, I'm responsible for this. And I have to change. It's not about me anymore. And thankfully, I have found a woman who is realizing that I have the ability to be something different. And I have the ability to change and she's sticking with me for that reason. So I made that, I made that decision and I told Autumn, I said, I need to go back home. I need to go back to Westchester Nazarene. I need to go where I know people love me and I know that they know me and I, they know I'm a screw up and they know that I'm, I'm not doing the right things, but I knew this was the place that we needed to be. So, so just, I, I, w I want you to talk about what God's doing in your life now. Man, it, it was six years ago um, that we started coming back here and we would avoid, and I'm looking directly at Jason Morris and Adam or Andy Dunn, and we would avoid those couples because every week they would come up to us and say, hey, we've got a Sunday morning class. You should join us. I'm like, oh, you know, we can't do it. We're, it's, it's hard for us to get here on time. So like, it was those people that just continued to like, push us and continue to uh, invite us to things. So then we got involved with Modern Disciples. We've made great friendships there, and we're kind of living life with them. And then I just, all my life, even as a kid, I always felt like God wanted me to do stuff in ministry. God wanted me to do, do something. But I started feeling like I'm not worthy enough for that. Like, God, I have screwed up so much. Why in the world would you want me to go tell other people about how they should live their life. I can't even live my own life right. And then I realized that that line, and I had no idea you were putting it up, is that when God calls us, he equips us. He doesn't expect us to be equipped when he calls. And um, I've embraced that. Since then, I've, I've uh, obtained my local pastor's license. I've gotten really involved with our young adults. Um, and I just, I felt like God has called me to be the absolute most transparent, and open person that I can be to our young adults. And, and I love that because we, we've got young married couples that are going through struggles. They don't know what's going on next. And Autumn and I have had the opportunity to say like, where you're at now doesn't 
indicate that you have to stay there. And, and we've been pouring into those people. Um, I have a, a, an extreme attraction to broken people. So we've, I've partnered with Linda Romer and Ray Murray, and we do tons of stuff out in the community and reach these kids that, um, that we have the opportunity to pour into their lives and let them know that there's people that love them. And I just feel so attracted to that and trying to help people that are in that place right now where they just feel so broken and they feel like they're not accepted in this big, beautiful building and that they have to stay out. So, so you're hearing Rick's story, and Rick's story is, is similar to a lot of us. Grew up in church, um, but, but then had this struggle with self. Um, and then there was this moment of wrestling and change. And now, man, he's a hero. God's using him. And, and I believe that that's what God wants for us. Yeah, you can clap. <laughs> and so this morning, the, the band's going to come up here at the end, and, and we're going to play a song. And, and, and I just, um, I, I want, Rick, you, why don't you just say, what, what would you tell everyone else that might be in that spot that you were in? So there, there's a lot of like different, we're all on different journeys. We're all in different places of our journey. And, and I think that it's so important to realize that um, regardless of where you're at, there's probably two big groups here. There's probably people that are on the journey and they just feel like, hey, I'm, I'm close with God. Like, God, I've got a great relationship with you. But there's still that one wrestling point in your life. Or maybe there's a couple. And maybe you're just in a place where you're just saying, God, like, if I could just get over that, if I can just get over that last obstacle, I'm gonna be right there with you. And then there's another group that you're here because you're just going through the motions. This is what you do on Sunday morning. You were raised in the church. You know that your families are gonna hold you accountable if you're not here on Sunday. People are gonna ask why you were late. Maybe you, maybe you just don't feel like you're at a place where you can have that relationship with God because of the things you did last night or the things you did on Friday night. And I would just urge you, like, as, as they sing, like, understand that these altars, there's nothing magical about them. But the one thing they are, is there an opportunity that God gives us to come to these altars and say, God, I can't do this by myself. I know where you want me to be. I know what's right, but I just can't get over myself. And we all struggle with that. We all make those selfish, selfish decisions, but I think that's... That's where God wants us to be. He wants us to come to him and he's waiting. That's the one thing I told Alex when we were talking about this is when I came back and I locked in and I said, God, this is, what, this is where I'm supposed to be. I realized my life could have been on a completely different path if God wouldn't have already been there with me. I could have been doing something completely different, but God, you were there the entire time. I don't say that I was born into to church royalty, but when you think about my grandparents and you think about my, my great-grandparents, I'm just the closest thing to church royalty. And to be able to go there and say, God, I messed up, but I know that you've wanted me to be with you the entire time, and there's people that feel like me that I need to go get and I need to bring into this building and I need to bring to you is an incredible thing. So, so I know it's 1209. I'm sorry that we're running a little behind, and I know it's the first week of football, um, but, but I think what we're doing here is incredibly important. And so as we sing this song, I just think, you know, I know that I know we typically end early, but I just want you to be at a place where, where you're praying, God, I want to be a hero for the faith. And so maybe some of you today are dealing with self. Maybe some of you are dealing with that struggle of, 
of just that constant turmoil. And I would just ask you as we sing, no matter where you're at, to be in a spirit of prayer and to, to, to submit yourself to God. Father, we love you today. Um, and I pray that you would speak to us. I thank you for Rick and his story. I thank you for the story of Jacob. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in this time. In Jesus' name.